Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. Good to have Kenny back, right? Yeah. And, and Vicki as well. So good. There's a scene in, in a pretty old movie now. It's the Bonnie and Clyde movie. I remember, how many remember that one from way, way back? <laughs> Where the couple are, uh, they're hiding out. They're, they're, they're holed up in a hideout somewhere, and uh, they can't go anywhere. They're, they're kind of just stuck because the cops are hot on their trail. And it's around this time, you know, in the movie that they're beginning to kind of admit and realize that this life of crime really isn't as glamorous as they thought it might be. And so Bonnie Parker, she begins to kind of talk and she says, you know, boy, something along the lines of, wouldn't it be nice if we could just have a brand new beginning? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just walk out of here free and not have to worry about the law and just start again? And Clyde Barrow, he, he chimes in, yep, man, it would be so nice to get a second chance. Because it's, you know what I would do if I got a second chance? I wouldn't rob certain banks like I did. I'd rob different banks. <laughs> but I wouldn't rob such and such. I would do such and such. And I wouldn't make the same mistakes. If I had a chance to do it all over again, I'd do it better. <laughs> well, of course, this isn't what... Bonnie has in mind, not, not at all, right? It's like, no, don't think so. Um, but here's the deal. We, we, we realize that we all have been trapped in sin, and, and we're thankful that Jesus has come and set us free. Amen? And we're thankful for what Paul has given us as followers of Christ in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. We're basically in saying it for there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Another way of saying it is the slate is clean and we're free to walk out the door and live a brand new life. This is what has been done for us. But there's something about the old nature that seems to prefer a life on the run. And we sometimes find ourselves going back to the dreadful, painfully unglamorous existence that sin tries to invite us back into. We were saved, folks, from the yuck and muck, and yet sometimes, like Clyde Barrow, we can't wait to get back in it. Longing to return to the old habits or the old way of life. May God help us to never forget that he pours out his grace on us, not so that we can become a better Clyde Barrow, <laughs> not at all, but so that we can experience the longing that Bonnie Parker displays in that movie, a new life free from the chains of the past and free from the guilt of our sins, free to start over again with new freshness of new life. If anything, this probably fictional vignette from the movie, right, it does do this. It, I think it gives us a look and insight into our very own lives. I, I think it would, if anything, it does that. You can experience the full freedom of life in Christ, or you can abuse the freedom that he's provided, and walk back into the road, that the life that you came back from, to the old life. 
a life of, of destruction, a life of pain and misery. If anything, we can do that, but we need to realize what God has done for us. He has won for us freedom, freedom from that. Now, I want you to imagine with me, if Bonnie and Clyde, or anyone for that matter, could somehow get a peek into the future and see what the consequences would be for the life that we are living. You know what I'm saying? I mean, just imagine if, you know, if Bonnie and Clyde could have done that, they may have changed the direction of their life. It could be that if you and I could see the future of where the, what the consequences will be of the way we are living our lives, it could very possibly change the whole uh, direction of our life. could change everything. In fact, I think that's the intention, <laughs> to change the way that we are headed, to change how we would live our lives, to change our hearts, our minds, our attitudes, our behavior. So just imagine that if that was possible. Well, you know what? There's good news for the people who belong to Jesus Christ. That is exactly what God's Word has done for us. It's one of the things that I really, truly love about the Old Testament. And even though it's not an appreciation shared by everyone, but God's Word does provide future glimpses of disobedient consequences. It really does, doesn't it? It provides that, gives us warning, and says, if you don't, here's what will happen. And it won't be because I'm a mean God. It'll be because of your disobedience, your unbelief. It will be because you brought it on yourself. And then it also gives us glimpses of the future, of the blessings that come with obedient behavior and faith and trusting Jesus. Now, there's a myth out there that has circulated among Christians and even non-Christians for far too long. The myth is that the Old Testament portrays a God of anger and wrath and judgment. And it is only in the New Testament that we see a God of love, compassion, and mercy. I have had people say to me, even in this room, in times past, I believe in the God of the New Testament, but I cannot believe in the God of the Old Testament as if there were two different deities, as if there were two different gods. The Old Testament is full of stories and prophecies and promises that reveal God's nature to us, all of His nature. And if all we had was the Old Testament, folks, it would be enough. Those 39 books in the Old Testament was all that the early church had. It was all that the Apostle Paul had, and it was enough to get them going and get them started. Um, the, these, this Old Testament is, you know, shows a, a God of goodness and mercy, not a God of wrath and vengeful and mean and angry. He is revealed in both old and new as a God of goodness and mercy, a God who is eager to restore broken people. Anybody here been broken? <laughs> and that's what he's about. A God who is eager to restore. He, it is filled, this Bible of ours, 
filled with biblical principles, especially the Old Testament, which I love to be in and teach from, because it is filled with principles, life principles that are very, very relevant for today. Amen? So from beginning to end, the Old Testament promises a Messiah who would make right all that is wrong, who will bring peace to the planet, and who will restore all that has been broken by sin and rebellion done by us. This is the God that the Old Testament reveals, folks, a God who takes things that are broken and puts them back together again. Are you thankful for that? I trust that you are. And so in Isaiah, you've been wondering, okay, what chapter are we in? Chapter 65. In Isaiah chapter 65, and by the way, this will be our final message in Isaiah. And so those of you who know how many books are in Isaiah, you're saying, well, there's only one more left, Dave, so probably, right? <laughs> in Isaiah 65, God continues to allow the prophet Isaiah to see into the future. What he foresaw was the most wonderful news imaginable. The Lord actually enabled Isaiah to foresee the magnificent, amazing conclusion of human history as we know it. So it's a great glimpse that God provides for us. This conclusion actually literally began when Jesus first came. Okay, are you with me on that? When Jesus first came, he, he launched in his coming a brand new phase of human history that changed everything. Isaiah foresaw both the coming age of salvation and the creation of a new heaven and a new earth, an eternal universe that has been promised by God and is yet to come. So let's look at it. Let's dive in with at verse 1, chapter 65. He says, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me to a nation that did not call on my name. I said, here am I, here am I. And so we already see here that God is all about brokenness and restoration. I like that word restoration. How about you? Such a good word, isn't it? Now, I want you to keep in mind that Isaiah is the one doing the writing here, but God's the spokesman, okay? The Lord is speaking through Isaiah, and he is sharing these facts about events that are yet to come, the wonderful hope that lays out into the future for all who would, would be true believers in the Lord. A new era of salvation would come to earth, and the new era would be launched by not man, <laughs> Not them coming together and having this great big convention and meeting and coming up with all these great ideas, maybe convening in Geneva or something like that. No, 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 no. Nothing like that. But by God and God himself. A dramatic intervention into human history would take place. I am so thankful for that. How about you? A dramatic intervention which would indicate that we needed a dramatic intervention, amen, <laughs> would take place. God would reveal himself to mankind 
in the person of his son. In Romans chapter 10, verse 20, Paul actually quotes this first verse from Isaiah 65. And he references the people being mentioned here in this first verse to the Gentiles. He references and refers them to the Gentiles. But I also want you to know that it does not exclude the Israelites either. Just because it might be referring to the Gentiles, it also includes the, Gen the Israelites. Because while God had to go and take this message and this hope of a new era of salvation to the Gentile people, it was simply mean, why did he do that? Because the Israel people had turned their backs on him. They were no longer interested in him. And therefore, they rebelled and disobeyed and did all kinds of other stuff that should not be done for someone who believes and wants to love the Lord God with all their hearts, as we will see here. And so he likens it to the Gentiles, but it doesn't exclude the Jews. Um, so, so God sovereignly reached out to those who, as it says here, who weren't even seeking him. In other words, he wasn't even on the radar, but God's in his loving, compassionate heart. You need to be thankful for this. Reaches out to the Gentile people, which probably would include every single person in this room, right? Are you thankful that he did that? I am so thankful that he says, here am I, here am I, and I am so glad. Because we have responded to that, haven't we? To the great I am, written right here. He's given his name <laughs> as he makes the statement. Here am I, here am I. I, I am the I am. The one and only, true, true God. Now notice those words. I am, I am. Here I am. In other words, he's saying, I am making myself available to you. Church, not so that we can ignore him. Not so that we can go about doing our own thing as if he doesn't exist. Saying, yeah, I believe, but living in a whole different kind of way. He says, I am making myself available to you. Here I am. At the very least, our response should be nothing less than, here I am, Lord. I am yours. I'm making myself, my heart, my total being available to you. Because you have made yourself the creator of all things available to me. And I love that. And hopefully God would challenge you in this very moment by his spirit to ask yourself, am I making myself available? Have you ever asked yourself this question? If the rest of the body of Christ was the kind of Christian that I am, what kind of church would Jesus have? Verse 2. All day long I have held out my hands to an obstinate people who walk in ways not good, pursuing their own imaginations. That's another way of saying their crooked schemes. All day long, he says, he's done that. In the first part of verse 3, a, a people who he has reached out to, a people who continually provoke me. And then notice 
the audacity, even to my very face, God says, provoked me. All day long, God had stretched out his hands in love and compassion, tenderly pleading for the Israelites to trust and follow him. With a heart that longed for a personal, loving relationship with his chosen people, God continually sought after them. But they continually rejected him. The Lord and his appeals to them. Their hearts it's, were, were obstinate. They were stubborn. There's even other places back in the Old Testament where they're referred to as stiff-necked people. They chose to walk in their own wicked ways and evil thoughts, seeking to fulfill their own lusts, their own desires, rather than God's. And when they should have remained true to the Lord, worshiping Him and Him alone, they instead worshiped the idols and the false gods of their neighbors. Sounds so familiar to our times, doesn't it? Hey, I, I, I want to do what the rest of the world's doing. I want to get in on some of the fun. I want to be like them, is what Israel is saying. It's what they did. Can you imagine provoking God to his very face and saying, I don't think you're good enough. I'm going to go over here and worship something that's been made by a man. Something carved from wood. Fashioned from some material. Instead of the living God. Now we would sit here and say, shame on those people. But you better finish that sentence out with shame on me. For all of us. It says they continually provoke the Lord with their sin. They openly, shamelessly insulted him over and over again. And we do the same, if we be honest. In fact, the second half of verse 3, going into verse 4, lets us know they, they had turned to the world of the occult. Look at this with me. He says, offering sacrifices in gardens and burning incense on altars of brick, who sit among the graves and spend their nights keeping secret vigil. Their sitting in cemeteries suggests that some of the people were attempting to make contact with the spirits of the dead, an occult practice. Their spending nights in secret places suggests participation, again, in occult practices, seances and that type of thing. And so God issues a strong warning to those who were rejecting him and turning to all of this other crazy stuff. Look at verse 6 and 7. See, I, it stands written before me. I will not keep silent, but will pay back in full. I will pay it back into their laps. Both your sins and the sins of your ancestors, says the Lord, because they burned sacrifices on the mountains and defied me on the hills. I will measure into their laps the full payment for their former deeds. 
He had recorded their sins. He's kept record. And, and let me just insert here this record in of, the, of the mistakes and the sins and the rebellion that had been kept before him could have been very easily erased simply had they turned it back to him in repentance. That easy. But they did not. They preferred instead the consequences of their behavior. Not a good decision. <laughs> not a good choice. And, it, and I think God is letting them know here that probably something along the lines of because they had not at this point experienced any drastic things, although it's looming on the horizon, Assyria is coming and they will be destroyed. But at this point, it's all going fine. Everything looks good. I'm still, my business is still doing good. My finances are still strong. I'm good. They have no idea of what looms on the horizon. And God is reminding them that, hey, while it may appear that you're getting away with stuff, not the case. Far from the truth. And unfortunately, the unrepentant would be finding this out the hard way, finding out what they will have brought upon themselves. Amen? And so what would that look like? Well, we get a glimpse at that in verse 12. It says, I will destine you for the sword, and all of you will fall in the slaughter. For I called you, but you did not answer. This is God reaching out. This is God saying, I'm giving you another chance. Here's the warning. Listen to me. Pay attention. Come back. But you would not listen. You did evil, continued to do evil in my sight, and chose what displeases me. Not good. But then look at verse 8. Let's go back to verse 8 and see what God says. The Lord is what, this is what the Lord says. As when juice is still found in a cluster of grapes... And people say, don't destroy it. There is still a blessing in it. So will I do in behalf of my servants. I will not destroy them all. Just as there are good grapes and bad clusters, so there are good people in churches, good people in nations, in, as in this case. in a nation that wasn't doing very well spiritually. But there were individuals who loved the Lord, remained committed to Him and devoted to Him. And it was because of them that God says, I'm going to hold off. I I'm not going to destroy the whole cluster. There will be those... Have you ever heard the term remnant? There will be a remnant that I will save. That will make sure no harm comes to you, that the wrath of God will not touch. I, I, I often, I wonder, and I just throw this out as a thought, could this be the case today with America? 
We, we have been on a slippery slope, haven't we? And we seem to be picking up speed, headed toward destruction. But could it be that because we do have in our nation people like you who love God, who love this nation, who love others and don't want to see destruction come, live for God, spend time on their knees praying and interceding. Could it be that that's why we haven't seen it happen yet, even though it is on the horizon? It looms. And so not only does God redeem and save the obedient remnant according to to the last line of verse 15, look at what else he does. Look at, look at this with me. The last line of verse 15, but to his servants, he will give another name. This is good. God gives his redeemed ones a new name. Well, what would that name be? It was in Antioch, we learn in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, where they were called Christians for the very first time. Now, some of you may know that when the unbelievers were calling these people little Christ, is what Christian means, they weren't giving them a compliment. As far as they were concerned, this was a put down to them. But it is a name. <laughs> it is a name that we who know him should wear boldly and courageously. It is a name that we who know him should wear it in great humility and responsibility. God help us to live up to it and behave like Jesus would have us behave. By showing his love and his grace and his compassion to a world around us that are lost and without any of those things. Go to the second, the last part of verse 16 with me now. For the past troubles will be forgotten and hidden from my eyes. Now, verse 17, see, I will create new heavens and a new earth. The former things will not be remembered, nor will they come to mind. This is Isaiah basically saying to us, goodbye, old, hello, new. <laughs> the Hebrew word translated here in verse 17 as create is the Hebrew word bara, B-A-R-A. It means to create from nothing. So when we read in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, that God created the heavens and the earth, the word he, that is used there is also the word bara, the exact same word. So in other words, God didn't use pre-existing materials to create the earth. He simply spoke the word and it became. That's what he's saying he's going to do with the new heavens and new earth, okay? This is not going to be like somebody taking flipping a house or doing a remodel. That's not what God will be doing with the heavens and the earth. 2 Peter chapter, two, chapter 3 verse 10 reads that this earth will be done away with entirely. This earth as we know it isn't going to get a refurbish. It gets replaced. Peter lets us know that in a millisecond flash of unbelievable energy and heat, things will cease to be as we know it. 
the new heaven and the new earth will be so wonderful, Isaiah says, and so perfect that we won't even remember, won't even draw to mind what was before. I like that. Think about it, church. The things of this world, the chaos, the hatred, the wars and crime don't even come to mind, forgotten. The hurt, the pain, the rejection, the failures are erased. They will be gone forever. Talk about a new start. I want you to think it about like this. You see, if, if it were possible for us to still re- remember all of the junk and all of the, the, the chaos that exists on our planet right now, all of our past failures and so on and so forth, I'm wondering if heaven could be heaven if that was still possible. Think about it. But they're gone. Erased forever, God's word promises. All things will be new in the new world including the lives of its citizens, true followers of the Lord. God will break the power, hear this now, folks, of the broken past. Any broken past here this morning? God's going to break it. Verse 18 and 19, But be glad and rejoice forever in what I will create. I guess so. (laughs) I would say so. For I will create Jerusalem to be a delight and its people a joy. I will rejoice over Jerusalem and take delight in my people. The sound of weeping and of crying will be heard in it no more. Good news. Amen. What a message of hope. Certainly for the people living in Jerusalem today, when you stop and consider all of the wars and rumors of wars and all of the peace talks that have gone on and so forth, and it's just constant, constant threat of battle there, the people in Israel today, the people living in Jerusalem under constant, you know, threat, They are aware that everybody else in the world almost is against them. Some of those other Arab nations have publicly said, we want them gone off the face of the planet. Imagine the message of hope this brings to them. In the day of the new heaven and new earth, it says weeping and crying will be replaced with what? Joy and rejoicing. Hey, folks, there will be dancing in the streets. (laughs) And what a message of hope for us. Life in the new world, in the new Jerusalem, will be entirely different from the life that you and I know presently. A totally fresh, exciting existence is being promised to us. The citizens of the new world will will be the joy of the Lord. Did you notice how he refers to us? It's precious. I told told Brian earlier before church started, it's not a word guys typically use, but it will be precious. 
It is precious. He says, my people. Oh, man, let that hit you. My people. God will take great delight in his people, in you, in me, rejoicing over them. So not only are we the ones dancing in the streets, singing in great, great laughter and joy, but God is too. And he's joyful in dancing over you because you're there in his presence with him. Verse 20, never again will there be in it an infant who lives but a few days or an old man who does not live out his years. The one who dies at a hundred will be thought a mere child. The one who falls to reach, fails to reach a hundred will be considered Accursed. What's being talked about here? Obviously, death. What's the promise? That at that point, there's no more death. Amen? No more death. Scholars suggest that to fully, properly understand this verse, we have to understand that when Isaiah uses this, this year 100, he's actually using it as a symbol or a metaphor of eternal life, life without end. Since even in Isaiah's day, like today, not very few live to be a hundred, right? Some do, but not very many. And so it's referring to um, eternal life, no more death. Isaiah would, would be contradicting himself if that were not the case because of what he said in verse 18 and verse 19, using terms like forever. So, obviously, Isaiah's scope has gone beyond here. The 1,000-year millennial reign that we've talked about, he's gone way beyond that into eternity. Amen? Eternity. Death will have no more power over God's people and sin with all of its temptations. Hear this, folks. This is huge. Sin with all of its temptations and entrapments. All of the stuff that you and I deal with on a daily basis will be gone. Yeah. So I say, may we forever, always, even now, begin to constantly be thankful for the never agains. Amen. I love that term, the never agains. This is a promise that the gap that exists between God and man will be bridged forever, never again to be experienced because our broken relationship with Him has been fixed. Why? Because God is all about restoration. We've been restored. We've been separated because of not only Adam's sin, but our sin. But God has come and breached that gap, restored the relationship. God promised in Genesis 3.15 that this broken relationship would someday be restored, and he has done that. Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, Remember that you were separate from Christ. And you were without hope. 
and without God in this world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once very far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. That had been a good place to say, thank you, Jesus. Or like we sang earlier, hallelujah. <laughs> Everyone in the room has experienced broken relationship with God. Amen? Every single one of us. Romans 3.23, make sure we get that. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But God offers us restoration through the death and resurrection of His Son. God promises our relationship with Him can be, will be, one of peace and fellowship and blessing. And to further demonstrate the restoration that God will bring to a new heaven and new earth and new Jerusalem, so on and so forth, look at verse 25. Even nature, even the animal world, experiences a new kind of existence. The wolf and the lamb will feed together. Well, that's something we see every day, isn't it? <laughs> and the lion will eat straw like an ox, and the dust will be the serpent's food. They will neither harm nor destroy on my holy mountain. Good news. That's what I call total and complete restoration. What has been true for so many of the Bible characters can be true for you. Consider Peter. I know Peter gets picked on a lot, but consider him today. When you read the letters that he wrote, you're left wondering, how can this be the same guy who denied Christ three times? And these people that he's writing to, surely they must know what he's done. How is it that he's not embarrassed? How is it that he's not full of shame because of his mistakes? How can he write with such authority? Well, the reason Peter was able to make such a comeback is because God restored him. But it, only, it wasn't only Peter that got restored right? David had a past and God restored him. And Moses had a past and God restored him. Rahab had a past. God restored her. Mary Magdalene had a past and God restored her. I could go on and on as you know because the Bible and history is full of stories of those whose broken past has been restored by the power of God. That's what God does. As I said earlier in this message this morning, it's what He does. He takes that which is broken and puts it back together again. This is a fallen world we live in, and we are victims of the fall. But I'm so thankful that we have a God who comes and restores you see, thanks be to God, He has provided a way out. <laughs> he has provided the, a clean slate, a new start, new mercies every morning. God has made an offer of restoration 
to us that will never, ever expire. That is what God does. It is who He is. Won't you let Him be that in your life? Chris Carter was an all-pro receiver in the NFL a number of years ago. He initially drafted by the Philadelphia Eagles. And in those first couple of seasons, they, it, it was a rough go for him, mostly because of his off-the-field problems with drugs and alcohol. After a few seasons of not really kind of living up to what the Eagles thought he could do, he got traded to the Minnesota Vikings. It was around that same time that Chris Carter found Jesus Christ and surrendered his life to him. Given another chance in his career, he decided to make good on it with a new life in Jesus, a new start, a fresh start. He went on to have a successful football career, setting records, receiving records, and eventually was inducted into the Hall of Fame. In an interview a few days before his Hall of Fame induction ceremony, he had this to say, and this is just a little bit of what he had to say. I wish I had done everything right. I have regrets. And when you've got a dark chapter in your life, people will try to make that the final chapter in your life. But it doesn't have to be. For me, when it got the darkest. I said, this is not going to be the end of my book. Some days it may appear that you're at the end of your book as if the way things are today are the way things will always be. Don't believe it. Not as one who is in Christ. Don't believe it. There are chapters in your life waiting to be written. Amen. Amen is right. Even today, you can begin making decisions to change the outcome of your story. It's not too late. In Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, we find these words. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. That's referencing our dry, dusty hearts, folks. He's making a way. In other words, church in Christ, it's a brand new day that will lead you to a brand new world. <laughs> to a brand new holy city with a perfect holy king, King Jesus. And it all starts right now. Will you live your life today totally for Jesus based on what he has done and promised you that can have an effect and influence all of your tomorrows? The promise of restoration. It is yours for the taking. Will you take it? Father, we come before you this morning, and hopefully our hearts have been opened to you. Hopefully our ears have been opened to you. 
and we have heard your word. Not in a way that as soon as we leave this room, leave this building, it's just back to business as usual, but in a way where we have truly heard. True hearing, true listening isn't just receiving, it's, it's responding and it's acting on what we've heard. It's embracing what we've been told. And in the case of God's word, spiritual biblical principles, it gets serious. And I pray, Lord, that we would be serious about hearing and receiving your word and then acting upon it. Obedience, faith, trust, living for you like we've never lived for you before, behaving like Jesus would have us behave. Making good on the glimpses you provide for us in your word of our future and the blessings that come with living obedient lives because of you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com. So I will lift up.